Well, good afternoon, everybody. I'm glad that you uh, chose to be here today. Probably the best place to be is around uh, the Word of God with the family of God, worshiping our amazing God. Amen? Amen. And uh, we're going to ask you to take your Bibles this morning. We're going to begin a new series here for the next few weeks. And uh, it, it's entitled Firm Foundations. And I think in these these troubling times, there's there's a lot of uncertainty in our world. There's a lot of um, tension in, in, in our culture. And I think what, what, what we tend to do is we get distracted by all these cultural, national, social issues. And I think it's just best for us to just dial it back, turn to the scriptures, and get back to the fundamentals and foundational pieces of our faith. Amen? And we need to not be so distracted by those things and then lose our bearing. Um, and so today I'd like to just begin this series with the focus on worshiping the true God. And if you have your Bibles, I'll have you turn there so you're ready when we read in a little bit. But 1 Kings chapter 16. We're going to look at the uh, story and the, and, the, and the historical event where Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal in a, in a, in a historically low, uh, spiritually low period in the nation of Israel's life. Before we get started, though, I just would like to read a couple of, I think, relevant quotes that kind of set the stage for the topic that we're going to be talking about here, true worship. Everyone lives for something. If that something is not God, we are driven by that thing we live for, by overwork to achieve it, and in an inordinate fear if it is threatened, deep anger if it's being blocked, and inconsolable despair if it is lost. And so the novelist David Foster Wallace, not before, long before his suicide, spoke these words to a 2005 graduating class at Kenyon College. He said this, Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. The compelling reason, maybe, compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much everything else we worship will eat you alive if you worship money and things. If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then, then you will never have enough. Never feel as if you have enough. Worship your body, beauty, and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing uh, you will die a million deaths before you finally are grieved by others. Worship power. You will never end up, you, you, will, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always be on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is they are unconscious. They are our default settings. The fact of the matter is, do you, do you realize this, that even atheists worship something? They have a God? I would argue that atheists, you know, whatever their God may be, they're worshiping it. We, by nature, worship something. And I want to challenge us as Christians with the world the way it is and, 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 and things getting turned around and tossed upside down. We don't lose our bearing. Even Christians are tempted to worship lesser things. And it will always disappoint. 
1 Kings chapter 16, verses 32. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm going to try to summarize this story. I'm going to read highlighted portions, but uh, we, we want you to see the whole narrative, and hopefully we can make that flow. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 32 and 33 says this. He, referring to Ahab, the king of Israel, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Ashtra. And Ahab did more, and this is what I want you to see, did more to provoke the God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. How did he provoke him to anger? He provoked him to anger by introducing Baal worship at a level it had never been introduced before in Israel. It is a... <clears throat> Joe, can I have your water? I refuse to drink water because there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. And... Uh, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice here, so Zach, if you mind, just thanks. So here we see Israel at a at a, at a horrible spiritual place that they that they have digressed to this place of idol worship. The nation of Israel brought on the judgment of God, and I think that would be the first point, is uh, idol worship will provoke, provoke God to anger. Idol worship, even in the Christian's life, will provoke God to anger. Anything that we focus on, that other than God, that demands that level of attention, will provoke the Lord God to anger. And so that's the first point. And so what needs to be done? Or what happens as a result of this idol worship? When we look at chapter 17, verse 1, we keep moving in the narrative. God brings a prophet. His name's Elijah. And now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain many years except by my word. God would bring a famine and a drought upon the land like none other. It would, we get to, to chapter 18 and we see that it lasted three years. And it wouldn't be till the prophet prayed, until the sin is dealt with, that God would bring the rain again. And so when we are thinking about our own lives and say, well, does, well how does this apply? I tell you what, at any time we are finding ourselves distracted by lesser things and it moves us to a place of, even if it's unconscious, we are worshiping those things or those people. You know, sometimes I'm bothered by Valentine's Day cards because it almost places relationship at an idolatrous level where there is, a, there is an interest so much in the other person. I love my wife, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a point where, 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 where a healthy relationship becomes unhealthy. And so even relationships can, can become objects of our worship if we're not careful and if we don't have a focus and, and a center in God himself. And so idol worship here brings judgment. The judgment of God, and that would be the second point, would be that Israel would be forced into a drought for three years. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> I spent this last week in the desert. Our Marines are down at the border, and uh, I, I visit them all the way out from Yuma, and, you know, you see the car temperature rise to like 119, as it says, outside temperature. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. I'm taking pictures of it, shooting it on Facebook, and, uh, and you go outside, and you think, oh, there's a breeze. Well, it's like being in a convection oven, because it just immediately dries you out faster than normal. You know, my eyes started to, like, hurt. My, my, my tongue went, went immediately dry. And so we were driving down from Indio, where we had some Marines, down to El Centro, and we passed this huge body of water. Does anybody familiar with that part of California? Do you know what that body of water is called? It's the Salton Sea. 
And it is this, this incredible, it's not a mirage. You imagine walking in the desert and seeing that body of water and saying, no, nah, it's not real. It's just the reflection of the sun off the, off the sandy floor of this earth. And you're like, no, it's really water. And you, you take a run for it, dive into it, take a big drink of it. You know what you're going to find? It's salt. It's, it's, like, it's like a dead sea of sorts. And you know what? That's what false idols are. That's what like worshiping false gods are. There's, a, there's an appearance of something satisfying, something that we think we need. We're longing actually for, and we go to get after it, and we, and we, and we experience it, and we're only left for, for want and, and wanting more. And that's what I think the children of Israel here have. They, they have pursued these false gods, this Baal worship, thinking it will satisfy, because they're going to worship something, right? <clears throat> but it doesn't. It does not satisfy. It only brings the judgment and the wrath of God. It said God was not angered any more at the history of Israel than at this point. When they turn their focus from him, Onto these false idols. And so God sends the prophet. He sends a prophet to speak to the king and then to, to communicate to the nation. And before this, this drought can be lifted, the sin needs to be dealt with, right? And so let's see what happens next. Look down to verse 20 through 24. And so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered all the prophets to, to Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go, and this is interesting, this word that's chosen here, will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. What does it say next? This is interesting. The people did not answer him a word. And Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal, the prophet's but the Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And so here we have a, a challenge laid out. The people are asked, you know, where, where, you, where do you stand? What is your opinion? What is, who, who is the God you worship? And they couldn't answer. What a tragedy, right? They were left silent. It reminded me of when Joshua said, if it be in your, evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, right? Choose this day whom you will serve. Though there be gods of your fathers that serve in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whom land ye dwell. But Joshua's word was this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a, a definitive stand. Was, there was no question in Joshua's mind who he was going to serve. But unfortunate to, to, to this, this, these Israelites, this, these northern tribes, that they had lost focus, they had lost touch, they have lost the real connection to the living God. They didn't have an answer. So, so, so the prophet, Elijah, said, well, let's, let's see who's the real God. Each built an altar, each prepared a sacrifice, and he gave, he gave uh, the home team the first opportunity to go ahead and call down fire from heaven 
and to see if their God, see if Baal would answer them. And I thought it was interesting if you jump down to verses 26, 27, and 28. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal. Notice the time here. From morning until noon. That's probably six hours, right? Their day started at 6 a.m. in the Jewish, Jewish clock. And they went all the way to noon and they said, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And here's that word again. It says they lipped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, and I, I can't help but kind of laugh at this portion of the scripture, Elijah mocked them saying, Cry loud, for he is a God. Either, either he's musing, or he is re- relieving himself. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. What a, a I mean, you see, you see the mockery of what they're doing and, and, and the, the provocation of Elijah. And they're moved to such a tragic extreme. You know what? Our God sacrificed himself for us. Our God bled for us, you know, and and here they are trying everything they can to provoke their God, a false God, a false idol, to respond, and he's lifeless, and he's absent, because he isn't, really, when we think about who God is, he's not Baal, he's the king of kings, lord of lord, creator of heaven and earth. He's the savior of mankind. He's the sovereign king. And so when Christ writes in and records for us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So we think about this point. Idol worship must be confronted and defeated if God's judgment is to be lifted. And here we see that this exactly thing happening. And in verses 36 to 40, look what follows. And after that time, or I'm sorry, and at that time of the offering of the oblation, now we're into the evening offering time period, and Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be done this day, or let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you are Lord and are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And that I love this. Now, I don't have all the time in the world to read you every part of this story, but he didn't just build an altar. He didn't just prepare the wood. He didn't just lay on the sacrifice, uh, 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 set, set the sacrifice on that wood. He soaked it with water. In barrels and barrels of water till it filled up the trench around that sacrifice and on that altar. I mean, you guys don't have to be too too sharp, the sharpest crayon in the box, or even uh, some of our Marines here. God bless you, brothers. Um, uh, you, you put water on a fire, it's not going to start very easily, right? It just doesn't work that way. And when he cries out to the God of heaven... Look what, look what happens. And this is to me pretty exciting. That the fire of the Lord fell and consumed. And what does it say? It burnt the offering. It burnt the wood and even the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. 
And then the people, the people finally found their voice. Amen? And then the people saw it and they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So we deal with, have we dealt with the sin yet? Not completely. That's why we got to read the next verse. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. I know that's graphic and I know that's hard to maybe process, but you know what? Sin has to be dealt with. And when we're thinking about maybe even how this applies to our own life, we better not take a passive approach to the potential idols in our life. If any good thing becomes the ultimate thing, then it's a bad thing. All right? We need to make sure that we find that God is our ultimate thing. And He is the focus of our worship. If not, like Aaron's rod that budded, this amazing miracle that took place in in the exodus of the children of Israel, this dead stick produced almonds and leaves, became an idol of worship later on, and and they had to destroy it. It lost its point. It's lost its purpose. It was a historic relic, not an object of worship. And we need to take the same aggression as, as as, as Elijah has here in destroying the prophets of Baal, slaughtering them, we need to approach to the idolatry and the potential idols in our own lives. We can't passively accommodate both and somehow internally justify this idolatry. It it, it will not only just rob you from the blessings that God has for you, but it's an insult to, to our Creator. You know, and I'm nothing, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with, with jumping out of airplanes and, and experiencing thrills, but if, if you're such a thrill seeker that it becomes your idol, then maybe that needs to stop. I had a buddy that I was working with. He was a painter. You know, he had still had the long hair, had, a, had tattoos, and just lived a hard life as a biker, but he came to know Jesus Christ. And I said, do you ever ride motorcycles? He goes, no, I, I can't. I said, man, you know, I'm a bikers for Christ or all these other ministries. I mean, wouldn't it be neat to take your motorcycle and do things for God? And he goes, I can't. He realized there was too close of a connection to that old life. He couldn't somehow live a new life for God, knowing that that reminded him of too many memories in the past that potentially could be an idol. You know, he loved motorcycles. He could talk all day long about motorcycles and his Harley Davidson that he had. He literally gave it away. Gave it to a preacher. That was interesting, but uh, that's a whole other story. But but, uh, it wasn't going to be an idol for him, but it was an idol for this other guy. Are you willing to smash the idols in your life? Are you willing to put truly God on the throne in the place where he belongs? This is where Israel slipped horribly. The story isn't quite ended yet because the rain hasn't come. Amen? But I love the way this is an ending, and I, I think this is almost a, a story and a sermon in itself, but I've got to do it quickly here for time's sake. Elijah said to Ahab, go eat, or go up, eat, drink, and we're in verse 41. For there is, I love the sound, I love this phrase, there's a sound of a rushing rain. Did Ahab hear that? Probably not. The prophet heard it, right? It was like an ear of faith. He goes, in the distance, I know that I've dealt with the sin of this nation. The enemy has been destroyed. The, the, 
God has showed up and manifest himself in a powerful way, so the rain's coming. Amen? And we could too, with kind of a prophetic ear and a prophetic eye, saying, you know, when we're walking right with God, there's blessings that he has in store for us in the days that are ahead. And so this is what the prophet said. He went, and so he said to the, to the prophet, or said to the, to the king, King Ahab, eat, drink, there's a sound of a rushing rain. So Ahab went up, he ate, and he drank, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up, towards, or, uh, go up now, look toward the sea. And when he went up and looked and said, there is nothing, he said, go again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Abraham, prepare your chariots. Go down lest the rain stop you. And let me ask you this. Do you hear that, that sound of a future rain? Do you hear the sound of a future blessing because you've dealt with the idols in your life? Then prepare for the blessings and the showers of blessings that are going to come. God is a good God. He's going to honor the obedience of his people here. I love the way it appeared. It's a man's fist on the horizon. So imagine standing on Mount Carmel and looking out over the Mediterranean Sea in the distance and you, you, you see just this little cloud and if you would stick your hand out, it was about the size of a, of, of a fist. And that's all he needed to see, confirmed that the, the, the rains are coming. Amen? And then, notice what happens. He said, go ahead, go ahead prepare your tray. Let me slow down. <laughs> prepare your chariots and go down lest the rain stop you in a little while the heavens grew black the clouds and wind and there was a great rain and so Abraham or Ahab rode and went to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah I love this because I'm a runner I guess um, he, gathered, he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel judgment had come blessings had followed sin had been dealt with God was honored and glorified, and the nation was pointed back to where it needed to be. Now, I, I can't say it lasted long. I can't say that Israel would be um, who they ought to be for generations, but in that moment, God was glorified. Ed Stitzer said this in the article that he wrote called, Idolatry is Alive Today. He asked this question, is it that a 12-inch piece of wood or bronze can do something bad to us? Or is it that we do something awful to ourselves when we place adoration and attention that should go to God in other things? When it comes to idolatry, the danger is not in the item, it is in us. Tim Keller said this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything that we, or is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart, your imaginations more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. These are hard questions that we need to ask ourselves because it's the issue that is very personal. So I ask you, where do you spend your time, time that should be towards God and not towards lesser things? Where do you spend your money, money that should be, you know, I always like this illustration here, you know, I, I love cars. I have to really think about where they are in my life as, as an idol or as an instrument of God's use. So I've got a 1972 Mercedes that sits in the driveway, and I think God said, finally, it's time to let that thing go. 
So anybody interested, you can see me later. I'd love to sell it to you because I don't want it anymore. <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is, is can you imagine? It, it, it is like an act of worship. I'm taking this thing to car shows on Sunday morning. I'm paying my tithes to this car. I'm polishing it and getting it ready for service. Um, you know, and over and over, it is just the object of my affection and my attention. And God says, wait a minute. I thought that was all about me. It looks like something has gotten your attention. And it has become an idol. Where do you spend your money? How do you spend your time? What brings you joy? Where do you find your mind going? Back to the the beginning of the service when we read Psalm 15. Let me just close with these thoughts so that we could see all this tied together. Get together. Remember the idols? Unto you, O Lord, unto you, O Lord, we give you glory. You know, the way the verse started, or the the passage started, but the heart of the chapter was talking about the idols of pagan nations. He says, these are the creations of man's hands. Celebrating the work that man has done, not the work that God has done. The ultimate creator, right? They have mouths, but they cannot speak the truth and the promises that only God can speak. They have eyes, but they can't see the needs that are deep within your life. They have ears, but they can't hear your heart's cry. They have a nose, and they can't smell the sweet fragrance of your worship. They have hands, but they can't rescue and help in your time of need. They may have feet, but they can't run to you when you cry out to Him. What I thought was fascinating, God has none of those things. He's acorporeal. He doesn't have a body. He's spirit. And in essence, he doesn't need any of these things because he is God. He transcends time and space and he could operate and accomplish these things without human flesh. So I ask you, are there idols? There's things that need to be addressed and dealt with? Is God holding black, back future blessings and, 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 and goodness that he'd love to rain down upon you, but you're living a life of, of, of hypocrisy? This is a crucial foundation. This is, I think, where we start. It's, it's theology proper. It's, it's the understanding of who God is, and we understand that. It naturally provokes and evokes worship. That It, it, is, it is not something that's forced. It flows. And we said at the beginning, we worship either way. What are you worshiping? Father, we thank you for making yourself known to us that you aren't a mysterious, distant God that we gotta we gotta really try hard to figure out. Lord, you're, you're, yourself, you have manifest yourself in the world around us in so many different ways. God, you proved to Israel that you were the true God through the prophet Elijah. And I think you've proved to us over and over again, as even as New Testament Christians, that that Jesus Christ was a manifestation of yourself, taking the sin of humanity upon himself to rescue us and to to deliver us, which should bring us to a place of worship. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for making yourself known. But God, why, why is it that we worship lesser things? Why are we distracted by the idols that are like the salt and sea, promising a refreshing drink, but only leave us more thirsty. God, we are in a desert land, and we need a fresh rain of your blessing upon us. So God, I pray that we would do what is in our power to confess and forsake 
the sin of idolatry even in our own lives. And that we would commit to being passionate followers of you. Bringing you glory and honor in these troubling times. Lord, that's what the world needs. It needs more of you. It doesn't need more laws. It doesn't need more change. It needs the life that you bring and breathe into a into people. And so Lord, we just praise you and thank you for our gathering here today. It's so good to see so many people out committed to dedicating at least this hour to you. And so God, I pray that you would speak to hearts and minds as the, as the hours pass and the days go by, that we would seek you first. Understanding your burden is easy and your yoke is light. So we pray for your blessings now. In Jesus' name.